So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Job chapter 40. Turn your Bibles to Job chapter 40. And what we're going to do is, is we're just going to do what we do every day, read and rant. We read and then we rant. We read for about 20, 30 minutes, and then we reflect and ruminate over the text for another 20 to 30 minutes as well. Um, and we call this the read and rant. I have nothing prepared. We'll just see where the Lord leads. But today I want us to really focus our attention and our time on our reading today throughout the book of, through the book of Job. And we're getting close to the end of the book of Job. And so, as you guys know, we have been journeying through the entire Bible from Genesis. And now we are in the book of Job. And I hope that you're beginning to see the grand narrative and the grand picture and the purpose of the scripture itself. And I hope this has been an encouragement to you, particularly in this season, as we have been reading through the book of Job. And so we're in Job chapter 40. I'll pray, and then we're going to get started. And as I pray, I'm asking three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question we're going to ask. The second question that we're asking is, is God, what are you revealing concerning people? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me. What are you revealing concerning me? Father, I ask today, Lord, as we engage in your word, Lord, I pray that you would uh, impart wisdom upon us, Lord. Even this part of the scriptures, as we read it, Lord, we see wise prose and wise poetry. And I just ask, Lord, that you would uh, just reveal yourself to us, Lord, that you would speak to us in a very clear and visceral way. Lord, bless us in this time, Lord, as we seek to hear from you, Lord. Let us be convicted, corrected, encouraged, built up, exhorted, whatever it is, Lord, that we need for today, Lord, provide it to us. Give us our daily bread. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Job chapter 40, I'll begin with verse 1, and it says this. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that I, that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then I will confess to you, that your own right hand can save you. Now, look at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips, and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar, and the sinews of his ties are tightly knit. His bones are like the beams of bronze, his ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near, bring him near his sword. Surely the mountains yield food for him, and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus trees in a covert 
in, in a covert of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade. The willows of the brook surround him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes, or one pierces his nose with a snare. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose? Or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will, he, will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as a bird? Or will you leash him for your maidens? Will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not over, sorry, shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his gracious portions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around? His rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. No one is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. His, his sneezings flash forth light, and his, lot, and his eyes are like eyelids in the morning. Out of the mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals. His flame goes out of his mouth. Strength dwells in his neck, and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm of him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. And he raises himself up. The mighty are afraid because of his crashings. They are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of javelins. His undersides are like sharp potherds. Potherds, sorry. He spreads pointed marks in the mire, and he makes a deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. On the earth, sorry, on earth, there is nothing like him, which is made without fear. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. And I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Hmm. 
Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so it was that the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer up for yourself a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Naamite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers and his sisters and those who had been acquainted with this before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that God had brought upon them. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemimiah. The second he called Keziah. The name of the third was Karen Hapuk. And all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. The word of God. We are concluding the book of Job, and I want to just spend a few moments with you guys, uh, just closing out on a few reflections as we read through the book of Job. As I had indicated to you guys last uh, in our last session, our last time together, that often when we read the book of Job, and it's not to say that it is wrong to read it this way, but we read it thematically in the sense of that the purpose of Job is to um, to give us a message concerning suffering. And while Job gives us a message concerning how we ought to deal with seasons of suffering and how we ought to make sense of the seasons of suffering that we're in, as it pertains to the gospel, as it pertains to uh, Christ, as it pertains to God. The book of Job is much more than a book about suffering. As a matter of fact, I will submit the following uh, argument to you, that Job is, isn't specifically about suffering, but rather Job is about justice. And I know I've gone through all these rants about the justice of God and the righteousness of God, that the righteousness of God is the justice of God, that you cannot separate righteousness and justice. Therefore, if there's justice and if the gospel is there to address and to deal with justice or to deal with righteousness, then by consequence, it is to deal with justice. And when we speak about justice, what we're talking about is the kingdom of God. If we're talking about the kingdom of God, then we're talking about a law, a rule. We're talking about God's rule, God's reign. God's reign, of course, established not by um, someone ascribing the rule and power to him, but him ascribing it to himself as the creator of all things. Among the Elohim, he is Elion, who is the most high. He is the one who is the possessor 
of the heavens and the earth. He is the one that we give the name Yahweh, which is I am. It's a peculiar name because it's a name that is above all names. It is a name that has no uh, um, comparison. It is a name without uh, peers. It is a name. It is a peerless name because I am is a sentence. I am is a function. I am is is in its totality. I am. That's why when we use the word Yahweh and Yahweh, of course, being Septuagintly translated to Jehovah, it's Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah is I am, the great I am. And so that's why you'll see that he has all these different names ascribed to him. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Rohi. He is Jehovah Rofi. When we see all these terminologies and these names that are used for him, they're simply ascribing to his functionality because, again, the scriptures tell us that he is the God who supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory. You begin to understand what it means when God says that I am the God who supplies all your needs according to my riches and glory. He is the God who supplies all our needs, meaning God is defined by the needs that we have even in the most immediate moment. When we are in need of material, he is Jehovah Jireh because the word Jehovah or the word Yahweh is the word I am. And so he is. And if he is, what is he? He is what I need. Not what I want, but what I need. If I need provision, he is my provider, Jehovah Jireh. When I need peace, he is my peace, Jehovah Shalom. When I need righteousness, he is my righteousness, Jehovah Tzidkenu. When I need sanctification, y'all see where I'm going with this. He's the God who meets and supplies all our needs. When I need guidance, he is Jehovah Rohi. He is my shepherd. And so God is defined and the name Jehovah is followed and appended by the needs that we have. Isn't it great to know that we have a God who meets us where we need him? Isn't it great to know that he is the God who supplies all our needs? And so he is, that is, that he is above all things, and yet he is intimately involved in all things. And when it comes to the matters of what happens on earth, even though he gave mankind dominion and he gave mankind rule over the earth and he administrated his rule over the earth, he did not ignore the fact that his rule and his kingdom must stand. And so we see now that this is about the justice of God. The book of Job is about the justice of God. Are y'all with me here? And so if we read Job in this way, it's going to back us up now. It's going to give us a, a, a broader picture of the story of Job. I know we just finished reading Job, and I know we love this part of Job, but I have to make sure that we, we see the broader grand narrative of the book of Job because what the book of Job is dealing with is dealing with the fact that we who have been created in this image, who, who are in fact part of the mechanism of his justice and the rightness of all things. Side note, when we talk about God, we often, and this is going to sound a little dangerous, but I hope you stay with me here. But when we speak about God, it's interesting to me how we have a tendency to separate ourselves from God. Like God is this person who's in the sky, who creates all these things, and now he just kind of just looks down and he's kind of just, you know, He's looking at his creation, right? 
And so we look at God as if he's like this sky fairy <laughs> who, you know, he's kind of just up there and he's looking down. But that's not what the scriptures say to us. I'm going to break a rule right now. When we talk about Jesus, we have a tendency to try to find ways to find separability between like this God who's the creator and Jesus. Because, you know, so how, do, how do I make sense of that? You got God who's this person and you have Jesus who's a person. And so how do I, how do I, so he's kind of up there. And so we have this, this weird understanding of God, which isn't biblical at all. Okay, it isn't biblical at all. I know it's going to sound a little bit dangerous, but let's 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 read this. And again, pay which pay pay, pay very, very close attention. He it says in John chapter one verse one when we talk about the kenosis of Jesus Christ, the kenotic Christology, Christ being empty, God being emptied out into flesh in Christ. It says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him." And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I know I'm closing out the book of Job, but I want to make sure you guys hear me and what I'm saying here. We get a different narrative here, right? When we talk about the word, the word, there's a consistency. There's a quality of the word. In him, all things consist, right? In him, all things are put together. In him, um, look at Colossians 1 real quick. And I know, because I want to make sure you understand where we're going and how we're going to close this here. If you look at Colossians 1 real quick, okay? Um, And we'll look at, here in Colossians 1, the book of Colossians speaks about the preeminence of Christ, but it tells us a lot about God in that in that particular book. And I think for us, you ready for this? We talk about Jesus here and, and the preeminence of Christ. And in verse 15, in Colossians 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then look at verse 16 now. For by him all things were created. That's, you know, that's where we stop, though. We stop at, for by him all things were created. So he's like, you know, that's where we get all that sky fairy thinking. All things are created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether dominions, thrones, principalities of power. And it says then that all things were created through him and for him. So now we're talking about the preeminence of Christ, that all things were created, good things and bad things. It says all things were created, whether thrones or dominions were created or powers were created. All things that are in heaven, that's the realm of the spirit, and all things that are on earth, all things that are visible, And all things that are invisible, dominions, thrones, kingdoms, principalities, powers, institutions, all things were created, what? Through him and for him. 
And so, watch this now. In verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Huh. So now, if we're going to talk about God, God is not just this sky fairy that's up in the sky who, yes, all these things exist for me, for my glory, but now we understand that God is intimately in and through all things because all things, it consists in him. To consist literally means to be made up of. Are y'all catching me here? And so all things exist to do what? To glorify him. All things exist to glorify him. All things were created, not some things, all things. Now, the reason why I'm bringing all this up because, again, we talk about suffering and we talk about pain and we talk about, you have to understand now that if you can see and understand this particular point of scripture, when we talk about the preeminence of Christ, then we can understand then what's happening at the beginning when God says, let us make man in our image, because again, God is extending himself on earth through humanity. God is extending himself on earth through humanity. Humanity is an extension of God. And so now when he says, let them have dominion and let them rule, what he's saying is, is I'm working in and through my people, delegating in and through my people. So now when my people move, I'm moving because they represent me. I am, they're actively extensions of me. This is the divine mandate. This is what we're called to be. This is what we call the imago dei. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. To be made in the image of God is not, oh, I'm just a picture of God. Imaging God is a verb. It's an activity. You image God. So in the moment then that there is a deviation from the order in which God has created it, that is the fracture that we see. And the fracture that we see now is what causes the disequilibrium of the world. The things that, that don't work, the things that don't make sense, the things that aren't working outright. Suffering, what Job is going through, is a consequence of, ready for this, injustice. But that injustice is a part of God's justice. I'm going to help you understand what I mean by that. We talk about pain. We talk about suffering. You ask God, well, why, 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 why are we going through things? And yet it is all part of the plan because it was superimposed into the system, the programming of God's justice. That is now in the same way in your body. If you feel pain in your body, it is a signal that something is wrong, something isn't right, something isn't operating the way that it should. If we see remnants of evil, it is a symbol of something that opposes the will of God, and yet Christ will find glory even through that.
All things exist to glorify him. Okay, why am I bringing all this up? I'm bringing all this up because if we go back to the book of Job, if you go back to the book of Job now, it's exactly, it's a glitch in the matrix. Exactly right. It's a glitch in the matrix. And what essentially we need now is a resetting, a rebooting, a reloading of the matrix. <laughs> That's going to sound a little weird for me to say it like that. And so um, God's greatest mistake was creating man. No, no, no. God's greatest glory was in creating man because God inserted himself into man and mankind. <laughs> um, people say, well, God's big mistake was, was, was making man. No, <laughs> mankind is God's crown jewel. <laughs> um, mankind is God's greatest creation, <laughs> right? Because unlike everything else, God inserted himself into humanity. So why are we here? We're here because when we talk about the book of Job and we talk about this, I, I want an answer about why I'm going through my suffering. I hope some of you guys are noticing here that Job doesn't get the answer for why he suffered. Did y'all hear that? There's some people that are like, okay, I want, I want a specific answer about why I suffered. But then Job didn't get an answer about why he suffered. We're, we're, we're trying to make sense of it. And I find many people are trying to, man, we're looking for, Job suffered because of this. Job suffered because of that. Job suffered because God was looking to get glory through it. Job suffered while we're sitting around trying to find the reason for the suffering, what we don't understand is that suffering was a part of what God was doing in the plan of what he was establishing because the message was not about the suffering. And I hope this is going to help some people because for many of us, we're looking for the why behind the suffering when all God says to Job close to the end, as God is refining, he's refining Job to the clarity of his justice. And what God is saying is, is God is saying that this is about my justice. This is about my righteousness. This is, this is way bigger than you. This is for somebody who needs to hear this today. Your pain is way bigger than you. Your suffering is way bigger than you. Your suffering has been promised to you. We're all promised to suffer in one form or another, but it's way bigger than us. This isn't about us, actually. It's about something greater. It's about something that's happening in the realm of the spirit. It's about something that's happening in the matrix. <laughs> and we're gonna, we'll, keep, we'll keep running this analogy. We'll keep running this analogy. It's about something that's happening in the matrix. There's something much bigger than this. And while you're busy trying to make sense of your suffering and trying to make your pain go away, you have now made your suffering ready for this and your pain. And this is what pro, this is what proliferates the pain, by the way. You've made your suffering and your pain about you and about what you're going through. And that's the human condition, y'all. Like, that's, that's how we are as people. Like, our tendency is to make it about us. And so we have this natural tendency 
to make it about me, myself, and I. Why am I going through this? Why am I dealing with this? Why is... And so we miss out on the bigger picture that there's a system that is that that's way bigger than you that you pay you play a very 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 small part of and whatever you're going through is a blip in that system it's an iteration in that system it's a it's a it's one line not even one line just one point in the code of that system and so it's an infection in the system in which God is going to bring restoration to, but he doesn't just want to restore you. He wants to restore all things. Remember, Jesus said, behold, I will make all things new. Why did I just bring all this up? Why did I just bring, why did I, because I want you to understand that Job is a story about something way bigger than Job. This book written by this Hebrew author about a man who's not even a Hebrew, who's having a conversation with God and a discourse with God, who has argued with his three friends. He's been going back and forth with his three friends. And at the core, the question was, is why are you going through pain? You, the only thing that can make sense of your pain is that you did something wrong. If there's anything I get from this is it doesn't matter what you do. Pain will come anyway. Pain and suffering is not directly a function of your decisions and your actions. There are people who, um, who say, I've done the best that I can, and yet I'm still experiencing pain. Maybe it was a mistake that I made. And so what your pain does is your pain leads to shame. Because again, that's what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants you to think that your pain is a product of your shame, of your mistake, of something you did wrong. But when you back up, just, just tell yourself that real quick, back up for a moment and realize that this is not about you. That's the hard part, y'all. I know someone's like, I need, I need an answer to my pain and I need, oh, you're about to get encouragement through your pain, but your encouragement through your pain is going to be first for you to disconnect your pain directly from the centrality of you in your life and to back away for a moment and say, there's something bigger here. There's something bigger. And the moment that you begin to move in this way, then you'll begin to understand now and appropriate the wisdom to be able to overcome because overcoming can be painful. And pain is a part of overcoming. And there are those of us who we will overcome through suffering. There are those of us, when we think of overcoming or we think of winning or we think of victory or we think of breakthrough or we think of release or we think of all these things, we think of those things within the context of pleasure and reward. But we never think about winning and overcoming within the periphery of pain. 
when we talk about overcoming and we talk about winning, there's a trophy, there's a reward, there's a promotion, there's all these things. And yet overcoming is not always characterized that way. Sometimes overcoming comes with pain and sometimes the overcoming is the pain itself. Job teaches us many things because a lot of our hopelessness in the midst of our pain comes out of us thinking that there's something we need to do to fix whatever we did wrong to give us now the capacity to experience a life without pain and without suffering. It's now the new spirituality. It's the new age movement. It's the manifest movement. It's the movement that says, God wants the best for me and I want to get the best for myself and I want to win. So I'm going to say all these things and do all these things and speak all these things into existence. That is the problem of worldly wisdom and new age thinking and all of that being simple, superimposed into religion and, and, and all of that. I'm ranting. I make that all a preface because when we read this text and what I hope you guys have been catching throughout this text, and I hope this has been an encouragement for some of you, is to see the bigger picture. We've been reading all the way through this, and I hope you can see the bigger picture because it's hard to. And sometimes when we begin to see that our winning is in pain, our victory is in pain, we talk about Jesus. Jesus was victorious in death. Jesus put death to death with a death. Jesus had to die. And it's through dying on the cross he was victorious. Many of us would look at Jesus and say that this man lost. Yes, he rose from the grave. And, and I, I know, oh man, this is going to get tough. This is going to get tough. This is going to get tough. <laughs> there are many of us. There are many of us who have ascribed the victory in the resurrection, that the resurrection was the victory. When Jesus rose, that's when he became victorious. But we never see the victory of the cross. Because for us, suffering can't be winning. You can't win suffering. Suffering has to be an L. So Jesus took an L on the cross. But then he got his W when he rose from the grave. I'll submit to you this. That Jesus won on the cross. How do I know that? Because before he died and he breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. Jesus said on the cross, I won. Jesus won on the cross. Meaning he put death to death with death by dying on the cross. When he said it is finished on the cross, he won on the cross. He didn't have to wait for the resurrection to know that he won. 
And for many of us, we're waiting for the resurrection to know that we've won. Because we can't think that we were winning in the midst of our suffering. No, no, we can't think we're winning when, when everything doesn't look too good. We can't think we're winning when we're being crucified with Christ. No, that's not the winning. The winning is the resurrection. Ah, no, the winning was actually on the cross. The resurrection was proof that he won on the cross. The resurrection is the receipt. <laughs> yes, it's the receipt that he won. You see, we know Jesus won and Jesus overcame. It's when Jesus rose again, that's when he proved what he won when he died on the cross. The resurrection was for us so that we would know that he won. Did y'all catch that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ was for us so that we would know that he won, but he already won when he died on the cross because it was on the cross that he said, it is finished. Some of us here are waiting for our resurrection to know that we've won. But can you take fellowship with Christ even in the midst of your suffering to know that you are winning even when you're in pain? That it's part of the winning. So when we will be raised with him, we're not, we're not winning because we rose with him. We're winning because we already won. The scriptures tell us that we are more than conquerors. It didn't say that we will be more than conquerors. So for the person right now who's in pain, you are more than a conqueror. For the person right now who's dealing with, with, with loss, you are more than a conqueror. For the person right now who's dealing with illness, sickness, you are more than a conqueror. And it's when you know what you are, then comes the grace of God that brings into fruition what you already know you have. There's some people in here today that need to start thanking God for their breakthrough, even in the midst of their pain. There's some people here today that need to actually give up their life and say, Lord, thank you for my healing. Thank you for my breakthrough. Thank you for my release. Thank you for restoring my marriage. Thank you for restoring my life. Thank you for, for restoring my family. Thank you for restoring, even if I don't see it yet, because in the midst of it, I have victory. Because the scriptures tell us I hope y'all read the stuff that I read. It says, by his stripes, we are healed. It didn't say by his stripes, we will be healed. By his stripes, we are healed. Hmm. So Job is not about how he overcame in chapter 42. The scripture is about how he overcame all the way up to 42. He was overcoming as he was suffering. He was overcoming in his suffering. And there are those of us here who are overcoming in our suffering. There are those of us who are overcoming in the midst of our pain. The resurrection is going to be proof that we overcame. Ah, so Job 42 is proof that he overcame. 
not for Job, but for us, the reader. Not not for Job, no, no. How do we know that? We know that because as we see Job in his discourse with God, Job has already lost his life in Christ. He's already given it all to him. He's given his life. So for him, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen my healing. I haven't seen my breakthrough. But God, you be glorified through all of it. Because Job has learned to disconnect what has fractured in the system. That worldly thinking makes us think that it is his unrighteousness that has resulted in this pain. But God gives him a final revelation. And God then challenges Job through Job chapter 40. And then he challenges Job when he talks about Leviathan. Leviathan, guys, is the system. We'll talk about Leviathan a little bit in our Bible study on Tuesday on Patreon. But Leviathan is a system. And he talks about Leviathan. And what he's saying to Job is, look, he's exposing Job to the fact that, Job, this was never about you. This was about the system. And he says, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook in 41 verse 1? Or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? They knew who Leviathan was. If this was written by a Hebrew author during the time of Hebrew captivity about a man who existed way before Abraham, and he uses the term Leviathan, what he's talking about is he's talking about the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire. He's talking about the institutions. He's talking about the systems. And he's talking about the power that the system has, the influence that the system has. And he sees all of it, and he says to Job, Job, you know that I'm in control, right? You know I got this. You know that I'm in control. Who This Leviathan that you see, do you think it would exist without me? All things exist, both visible and invisible, through him. And then Job answers to the Lord in verse 42. He says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my I sees you. Job has won. Job has won. He said, I've heard about you, but now I see you. Job has won. This was what this was all about. This was what this was, this was what this was all about. I've lost all my kids, but now I see you. I've lost, I've lost all, all my finances, but now I see you. I've lost my health, but now I see you. I've heard all these things about you, but now I see you. I see you, God. I see you. Now, now I see you. Therefore, I repent. And notice what he says. He says, I repent in my dust and ashes. 
I see you now. This, the, I, I, I see it. I see all of it. Job has won in his suffering. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job has seen God. Job has won. This is before, this is before he gets his kids back. Well, not the same kids, but he gets children. He gets his resources restored. His finances are doubled. His oh, we always preach, oh, he got double. He got double. Oh, Job got double. Job waited on God and he got double. Y'all, are we breaking? Are y'all finally seeing what this is about? Job won before he got any of that. He won before he got any of those things back. And Job didn't need any of those things to win. He won. <laughs> the devil has been defeated. Remember, this was the devil and God who had this conversation in heaven concerning the righteousness of Job. Notice now, he says Job is righteous. Again, this is all about justice. And what the devil was doing through Job's suffering is he's trying to bring into question what God's justice is really like and what God's righteousness is. And now Job has overcome. He has lost all of it. And yet he still knows God. And now he sees God and God says he's won. It is finished. And when he wins, everything changes. Everything changes. Verse 7. And so it was after the Lord has spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. The friends who betrayed him, who accused him, the friends who, 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 who blamed him for his pain and blamed him for his suffering, those friends, God says to them, now go to Job and have him perform the sacrifice. Wait a minute. The friends who all this time said Job was a nothing, he was a nobody, he was a no one, he was he was sinful, demands a lost cause. At this point, we can't even correct him anymore. Now, those two friends are going back to Job. And God is telling them to bring the sacrifice to him. A burnt offering to him. And he says, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your own folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. They did Job wrong. Yes, that's right, Sassy, because of their worldly wisdom. And now through this righteous man and this sacrifice, through this man who's been declared righteous, they may find righteousness. Sounds like a foreshadow of Christ to me. Because Job has said what he needed to say. So now 
bring the sacrifice to Job and Job is going to bring the sacrifice to me. There's one mediator between God and man. And that's Jesus Christ. And for many of us who have imposed worldly wisdom, for many of us who have sinned against God, for many of us who have used all the different ways in which we try to make God something he was not, for many of us who shamed people, for many of us who sinned against God, for many of us, it doesn't matter what we've done. We've got one who was despised and rejected by men who we can bring a sacrifice to. Because the sacrifices of God in the Bible, in, in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O oh Lord, do not despise. Bring it to Jesus. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly. Notice what he says there. He says, I will take his offering because if I deal with your offering, your offering is going to get you condemned. But his offering on your behalf is going to get you healed. So therefore, bring him to me on behalf of you. You religious person, bring him to me on behalf of you. And that's what they did. People go, oh, well, Job overcame because he forgave his, he forgave them. No, he didn't do more than forgive them. He interceded for them. Notice what he did. He didn't, oh my gosh, I don't have time. I got to go. Do, do y'all see that? He, it's not that Job forgave them for what they did to him. Job is actually interceding for them. Even when they rejected him. Did y'all, do y'all see that? Didn't go to Job and say, Job, forgive us for what we did to you. No, their sin is against God. And now to get to God, they got to get through Job. For I'll accept him, lest I deal with you according to your own folly. The only way I'm not going to deal with you is if you bring Job to me. <laughs> Meaning this was bigger than Job. This was about something so much bigger. And maybe for some of us who have suffered and who have dealt with some things, if we're going to be Christ in the world, then maybe we got to learn that some of the stuff that happened to us is way bigger than us. And maybe in the way that Christ was a mediator for us, we might need to be mediators for others. And so Eliphaz um, Bildad and Zophar went and they did as the Lord commanded for the Lord had accepted Job. Notice the Lord accepted them because the Lord accepted Job in the same way that, that the Lord accepts us in the way that the Lord has accepted Christ. Are you seeing the story? Are you seeing the point now? Are you seeing what Job is really about? And then afterwards, the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Notice now, Job, because he could actually not only forgive his friends, but intercede for his friends. 
because Job can intercede for his friends. Then Job found glory. This is the receipt of what God had already done in verse four through six in the heart of Job. So for us today, may God do in our hearts, even in the midst of our suffering, may we not just hear God, but may we see God. And upon seeing God, may we become the image, the restored image of God on earth. And may we be now the mediators and the representatives of the great mediator, because in Christ we are one in him, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are the fullness of Christ in Ephesians chapter 2. So let us be the fullness of Christ. Let us suffer well. Oh, there's healing. There's breakthrough. There's all of that. But let's suffer well. Know that our sins are forgiven and that Jesus has paid it all. That God gets the glory. To God be the glory. Father, I thank you Lord, that you brought us here. And I ask, Lord, that you would just continue to give those, give us those reminders, Lord, of the message of your gospel. Even as we read through your text, Lord, we see these things and we, Lord, we can't ignore the fact that, Lord, you are bleeding all over it. We're revealing every mechanism of your grace, every mechanism of your righteousness, every mechanism of your salvific work in our lives, Lord, everything that you're doing, even in the midst of our pain. Father, we know, Lord, that our suffering is temporary. Father, I know, right, even right now, that there is healing for people right now. Lord, I proclaim healing in the name of Jesus. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you would be glorified be magnified, and to be seen. So let this time of suffering be a time of refinement. Lord, drawing us nearer to you to focus on you and let it then lead us to healing. Where now we don't just know about you and we haven't just heard about you, but Lord, that we can say and declare that we have seen you. Bless us today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Fam, I love you. I got to go. Um, again, guys, I'll post this on Patreon right after. This will be available on the Read and Rant podcast as well. I know the Read There's some, some of you that have been asking, why is the Read and, po- Read and Rant podcast so far behind? It's far behind because we post on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. All these lives that we do, we do it on the Read and Rant podcast on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So make sure you download that um, so that way you can catch up. If you're new to this, you can catch up on all the reading we've done up to this point. And so it's really for those who want to catch up. And then for those who have all caught up with the reading, um, it's because of our patrons that I've been given the time and the bandwidth to be able to actually edit this content and to post it on the same day. So this will be posted on Patreon probably in another maybe 30 minutes. Um, This will be posted on Patreon. So I want to encourage you guys, if you're not a patron, support us on Patreon. If not, that's fine. We keep doing this regardless, okay? We're going to keep posting. So just follow us on on, um, on 
Apple and on Spotify. So it's available on Apple. Yes, Genesis is, is on the podcast. Everything is on the podcast. All this stuff that we do every day is on the podcast. So it'll be available to you uh, for free, okay? But there are those of you who say, hey, we want to just support. We love you. We love what you're doing. It's just an extra bonus, an extra gift that I give to you guys to make these episodes available to you on the same day. So anyway, love you all. God bless you guys. Oh, and if you're interested in becoming a patron, just click the link in the profile or click the link in the bio.